As you see by the slide, children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. So if you're new here today, if you make your way out the back and go to that corner over there, the teachers will be, uh, will be waiting for the kids. Well, thank you, worship team, for that final song that uh, introduces the message so well today. And just, just that line, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. And uh, that is so true in our relationship with God, and it's so true why we need spiritual community. Because why should we? We're not meant to. God didn't create us or call the church for people to bear their burdens alone. So let's just take that to heart as we, uh, as we come to the message today. So we are in a series called Healthy Church, Biblical Church, and today we're going to be talking about biblical prayer. So as I said earlier, about two weeks ago, Pastor Darren um, did biblical membership, and then last week, uh, Scott Dirksen did biblical giving. We've got a few more of these coming, but today, biblical prayer. So when I was thinking about biblical prayer, the first question I had was, so what's unbiblical prayer? <laughs> so what is unbiblical prayer? Well, you know, there are lots of different religions in the world that pray, so maybe that's unbiblical prayer. Um, what about, like, saying grace before meals? And some of us have some interesting graces. I don't know. How many of you sing Johnny Appleseed? That's always fun, right? <laughs> so I don't know, is, is, is that unbiblical prayer? But what, what do you think about pre-written prayers? What do you think about liturgical prayers? Hmm. Well, um, one prayer that is prayed, if you are a part of AA, oh, I see it's on the screen already, is called Alcoholics Anonymous, is famous for the serenity prayer. And at every meeting or gathering, they would pray this prayer, and it's a very beautiful prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Sounds like a pretty good prayer. Is biblical prayer? I don't know. So what do you think about liturgical prayers or the prayers of the ancient church fathers? There, there's one prayer that I particularly love that's called the prayer of St. Francis. There it is up on the screen. And it's a beautiful prayer. It says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? I know someone who, every time they go to work, there is a set of stairs they go up. And each stair is a part of this prayer. And so every day before they go to work, they pray this prayer for themselves and over the work setting they go into. And I just so admire that because can you imagine if all of us went to our jobs, went to our work with this being our mantra, our prayer for the day. Now, as I'm sort of being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here about uh, what is, what is non-biblical prayer, um, just so you know, in my background, and I grew up uh, in a very, um, what would you would say, evangelical type of circles, but I often, I wouldn't say I was taught this, but I got the impression that... Um, that sort of written prayers or liturgical prayers or th those kinds of prayers were kind of lesser. They're kind of like, almost like vain repetition. And that true prayer has to be spontaneous and has to come from the heart and has to come from the spirit. And those are the real spiritual kind of prayers. And just praying rote prayers, well, those weren't so good. 
However, over the years, I've really come to appreciate the beauty of written prayers and the beauty of the prayers of the ancient church fathers. And so I guess I would suggest to you that though all kinds of prayer is good and amazing and loved by God, I'm, I'm not so sure that those kinds of prayers are unbiblical. They may not be straight out of the Bible, but I would suggest that if prayers reflect Scripture and reflect the heart of God, prayers, all kinds of prayers can be beautiful. So anyway, just, just to think, to think among, on, on that for a little bit. Um, just, just one little side story. A friend of mine was a, part of, was a pastor and was a part of an ecumenical service. So there was a lot of different pastors and a lot of um, priests and ministers from other denominations. And so one of the priests I know was joking with my friend and said, he said, you know what I find strange about evangelicals? And he's going, well, there's probably a lot you find strange, but what is it that you find strange about us? He says, well, you know, when we pray, we pray we have, either we put a lot of preparation into writing a prayer, or we would recite an ancient prayer, but when you guys get up to pray, you just wing it. <laughs> and he laughed and he said, yeah, that's kind of true. So again, there's, I think it's beautiful to have a prayer that comes from the heart and comes from the spirit, but there's also something really meaningful and powerful about a prayer that's been thought through, prayed through, and, and even a prayer that's been uttered for thousands of years by the ancients. Beautiful. Anyway, just to, to think about prayer in that way. So, if we're going to go back to this title we have of biblical prayer, so if we're going to define it that way, so what is biblical prayer then? Well, I think perhaps the easiest answer to that question to start is to suggest the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus, at one time, Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus went ahead, ahead and did and gave them kind of an outline and a very personal prayer to pray. Now, I don't know what you think of the Lord's Prayer. Um, if you, some of you might remember when I was first here about a year ago now and I shared my testimony, I preached on the Lord's Prayer and talked a little bit about it and told you about several times in my life where because of brokenness or just dark times in my life, that when I couldn't utter prayers myself and didn't know how to pray and just was too broken to pray, that the Lord's Prayer became especially meaningful to me because the Lord's Prayer became my words, became the prayer that I couldn't pray. And yet, the power of the Lord's Prayer was very transformational in my life. And I believe that since this is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, I can't imagine a more biblical prayer. Now, when you start to define what prayer is, there's lots of different definitions. And one of the ones that's probably the most common, and I know I've used it before, is basically the idea that, that prayer is just simply conversation. Prayer is just us talking to God like we would talk to a friend. Now, that sounds pretty good, right? And I'm not, and I'm not saying that that's a bad or a wrong definition. But I was reading an author this week that kind of pushed back a little bit on that idea and said, you know, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, show us the Father, Jesus said, well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But when the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray, he didn't say, well, because you guys have been hanging out with me and talking with me, all of our conversations are prayer. No, he actually specifically gave them a guide and an outline for prayer. So I think there's something deeply significant about the Lord's Prayer. And I'd like to remind us again that the Lord's Prayer is really not so much a personal prayer as a corporate prayer. Because when, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're praying it, our Father, 
who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And, and, when we're, and when we're praying all the other lines of the prayer, it's not I, but it's us. Give us our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. The Lord's Prayer ultimately is meant to be a corporate prayer that we pray together in community. So I would suggest that there's no more biblical prayer than the Lord's Prayer. Now another biblical prayer would be going no further than the prayer book that is right in the middle of the Bible, the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms has been the prayer book for the church for 2,000 years, and the book of Psalms was the prayer book of the ancient Hebrews. It's been around a long time and full of 150 beautiful prayers. We see it all through scripture, the Psalms being used, and all through the last 2,000 years of church history, the, or sorry, the Psalms have been the prayer book for the church. In fact, tradition tells us that in the early monastic period of the, of the very early, early days of the church, that the monks at that time had memorized all 150 psalms and that some of them could recite them all within a day. Wouldn't that be an incredible prayer life to know the psalms and pray them in that way? And you know, just like I was sharing about the Lord's Prayer, if you're at a time in your life where you're struggling with prayer, not sure how to pray, not sure what, you know, just in terms of even how you would pray or the words or or perhaps you're just in a dry time, a desert time, or a real hurting time, or cynical time where prayer is hard. You know, like I said before, I'd really encourage starting with the Lord's Prayer, but I would also encourage you to pray the Psalms. The Psalms are meant to be our words. And you know, sometimes when I don't know what to pray or I'm struggling, I just read a Psalm a day, and then I pray that Psalm back to the Lord because the Psalms gives us our template, gives us our words of prayer, teaches us how to pray. So I just really encourage you that there's probably no more biblical prayer than the book of prayer, Psalms, and the Lord's Prayer. And there's also very many beautiful prayers all through scripture. Now, one of my hesitations in preaching or teaching on prayer is in my experience, there's probably no Christian guilt (laughs) more associated than anything with prayer. You know, if I was to ask any of you, if you're, a, if you're a believer in Jesus, what is one of the most important practices of being a Christian, probably every one of you would say prayer right at the top. And then if I said, so, um, how do you feel about your prayer life? My guess would be is that 99% of us would say, oh, I should probably be praying more. So I've, I thought to myself, you know, if guilt was a good motivation to get people to pray more, we would be the most amazing prayers. We would be a church full of prayer warriors if guilt motivation worked. So obviously, I would suggest to you, guilt motivation doesn't work. So what does then? What actually moves us or inspires us to want to pray, to actually pray? Well, that could be a whole long discussion, and there could be lots of reasons, but I'm going to narrow it down to just two. And again, this is not a thus saith the Lord, this is from the opinion of Don, but I'm going to suggest to you that there's really two main things that motivate us to pray. Are you ready for them? Number one, desperation. I think we all know when we're in trouble, when we're hurting, when something tragic happens, when we're up against a wall and we don't know what to do, we pray. And the deeper the crisis, the harder the situation, the more motivated we are. 
Now, I know we smile a little bit when I say that, but you know, I don't think that that's bad. I think prayer is designed to, to, for us to pray out of desperation. The Psalms are full of desperation prayers. The Psalms are full of prayers of lament and so many different kinds of even angry prayers. God loves for us to come to him at any time and even in desperation. But I would suggest to you that desperation might definitely be family feud here. The number one answer is desperation. Okay, secondly, what motivates us to prayer? I would suggest evidence. And what I mean by that is, is that when we see prayer being answered, when we see something miraculous or out of the ordinary happen and we go, wow, the only reason that happened is because people were praying or because God answered prayer. When we see the evidence of answered prayer, we go, wow, something inspires us. Our awe of God increases and it's like, wow, if this actually works, maybe I should do this. Hmm. So, I would suggest again to you, those are the main two motivations, desperation and evidence. Now, I said earlier that there's lots and lots of different definitions that theologians and speakers and authors have used to, to define prayer, and there's lots of very good ones. There's one I found, though, just this last week that I'm really liking and warming up to, and it's by an author by the name of Gary Miller, who wrote a book called Calling on the Name of the Lord, A Biblical Theology of Prayer. And and you'll see that uh, just up on the screen there. And his definition of prayer is simply this. Prayer is calling on God to come through on his promise. Prayer is calling on God to come through on his promise. Just think about that for a moment. Think of how Scripture is so full of the promises of God. And when you start to look at all the different prayers, it seems like so many of them, if not most of them, begin with reminding God. Now, it seems kind of silly in one way because it's like, why does God need to be reminded of what he already knows? Kind of seems to be contradictory to his sovereignty. And yet so many of the prayers all through the Old Testament, and yes, even in the New Testament, always begin with reminding God, God, you are sovereign. God, you are great. God, you promised this, you promised that, and we're reminding you of that, and so now God, move. Think about that when you, when you read the prayers and even many of the Psalms. Prayer is calling on God to come through on his promise. So with that in mind, I want to just look at two pictures of prayer in the early church. So my direction in this message of of biblical prayer is less about personal prayer and more about corporate prayer, the need for corporate prayer in our lives and in our churches. And so I wanted to show you two pictures from the early church and how they approached and valued corporate prayer together as as a spiritual family. So I'll ask you to turn to the book of Acts in the New Testament. And we're going we're gonna to go to Acts chapter 4, but just, but just a quick reminder um, to, bring us, to bring us to our text today. So in the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. And with his disciples and followers gathered, he ascends and he says, and he says to them, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit to come. And then he tells them, go and be my witnesses and, and bring the mes- my message throughout the whole world. So it's interesting, Jesus, as he's leaving, says to them, go and wait. Now, it's important to understand that that word wait and that idea of waiting is a big part of prayer. 
Sometimes prayer isn't us uttering words at all, but sometimes prayer is simply being in God's presence and waiting upon him. Wait for the Lord, waiting. So I, would, I think the suggestion there is not that they just simply, ah, go, go wait around until the Holy Spirit shows up. But actually the idea was prayerfully wait and wait together in community for this gift to come. So that happens in Acts chapter 1. And then in Acts chapter 2, it's the famous, the Holy Spirit pours out on the day of Pentecost. And the, the people are gathered together praying, and the Holy Spirit pours out over them, and they begin to speak in other languages, and they start to share in all these, all these languages to all the people who were crowded in Jerusalem that day. And the scripture tells us that 3,000 people were added, became, were added to the church, we heard the gospel that day and responded. So you can just imagine how incredible that day was. And then at the very end of Acts chapter 2 is the famous little passage that describes the incredible community of the early church and how they operated. And it just, again, there too talks about how often they prayed together. They would go to the temple courts and pray together. They would pray together in their gatherings and they would pray together in their homes. And praying together, praying corporately, was key to the early church movement. So by Acts chapter 4, which is where our text is, by this time, the persecution's starting. So a little bit of the excitement is over, but it's still high. Peter and John and the other disciples are going around proclaiming the gospel. People are getting healed. This Christian movement is starting to take off. And the Jewish leaders are concerned and angry. And so they're trying to put a stop to it. So they, they try to arrest Peter and John, but they basically just take them in for questioning. And they basically can't arrest them because of the fear of the people, because the people are so excited seeing all that's going on. So they, they end up releasing them. But when they release them, they tell them, stop, stop preaching the gospel. Stop what you're doing, then we'll let you go. So what did Peter and John and the early church do? So let's, let's read it here, Acts chapter 4. I haven't got the whole passage on here, so if you want to look it up. But I'll, I'll read all the way from 23 to 31. It says this. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they quote the scriptures. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed one. You see how they're reminding God of his promise? They're reminding him of what he said in scripture? That's how they begin their prayer. Verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And now verse 29, the crux of their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Isn't that incredible? Do you notice what they didn't pray for? They didn't pray for protection. They didn't pray for deliverance. They didn't pray for God to take away the persecution and the difficulty they were in. 
They prayed for boldness. They reminded God of his promise that Jesus had told us. He commanded us to go into all the world and be witnesses. And so even though these leaders are telling us to stop being witnesses, we are going to follow the command of God. God, you said it. We believe that you are going to fill us and empower us and give us boldness to carry on what you called us to do. That, that's the heart of their prayer. Did you notice? I love how they're filled with the Spirit. They're filled with the Spirit and the room is shaken. Now, have you ever wondered about this? I know I have. Like, this is only Acts chapter 4. Only have to go back to Acts chapter 2 and they're miraculously filled with the Spirit. So what's wrong with these guys? Didn't they get enough of the Holy Spirit already? Did they already lose so much of the Spirit that they needed to be filled again? I find it so fascinating because so often we get so confused about how the Holy Spirit works and, and, and either, we, either we dumb it down to when you become a Christian you get the Holy Spirit and that's the only time you ever have to think about the Holy Spirit or we take it to the other extreme where it's like there's this one big huge baptism of the Holy Spirit and then you're good to go after that big experience and some kind of manifestation. I think biblically being filled with the Spirit I think there's a daily part of it but there's also these incredible times throughout our lives where the Spirit seems to just pour out in power. And for these people, in their prayer for boldness, the Holy Spirit poured out on them again. And, it, and they physically noticed around them. It's incredible. You know, I would suggest to you that the number one evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit is boldness. Now, sometimes we're confused because it can seem like perhaps the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is some kind of manifestation or speaking in tongues. And I, and I believe that those gifts are, are real and for the church today. But I would suggest to you that the number one manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian is boldness. And that's what this group prayed for. When they could have been praying for protection or for God to change their circumstances, they prayed for boldness to accomplish the mission that Jesus had given them. It's so incredible to me that these same disciples who, when Jesus asked them to pray with him before his death in the Garden of Gethsemane, they couldn't even stay awake to pray with him. And these same disciples who were hiding in fear, now these same disciples are boldly facing off against the leadership and the rulers around them and boldly proclaiming the gospel and praying for this. And what's the difference from the scared, sleepy disciples to these bold, on-fire disciples? It's pretty obvious, right? The difference is the power of the Holy Spirit and how the power of the Holy Spirit is connected to the church corporately praying together. So picture number one, and now let's go over to uh, Acts chapter 12 for picture number two. So just to kind of pick up the story a little bit, so from Acts chapter 4 on, persecution just starts to go crazy. The gospel keeps spreading and the persecution gets worse and worse until a lot of the Christians are even pushed out of Jerusalem and to all of the surrounding areas. And guess what happens? Persecution actually backfires and more people become Christians all through the region. And, and basically, that's what's all happening by the time we get to Acts chapter 12. Now, in Acts chapter 12, Peter is arrested this time and imprisoned. And it's a great story, if you want to read the pre-story of, of where a text is today. Um, Peter's in prison, and an angel comes at night and 
miraculously delivers him from prison. And Peter thinks that he's dreaming this. He thinks he's having a vision that this isn't real. And it's not until he's out of the prison that he begins to realize, no, this really happened. And so that's, that's where we'll pick up the story. So Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, says this. When this had dawned on him, meaning Peter dawning that he was out of prison, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Guess what? There was a prayer meeting. Verse 13, Peter knocked, knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Not only about you, I always laugh when I read this story until I realize, oh my, I guess I'm just like this. How often are we astonished because God answered prayer? It's like we pray, do we really believe God answers prayer? Well, we say we do, but then we're pretty astonished when he does, right? Or often we, there's an answer to prayer and we just miss it. So it's, it's yeah. What, what I want you to see here, though, in this picture is, again, the importance of corporate prayer. And how in this situation, I said, I said at the beginning, the two greatest motivators for prayer are, are often desperation and evidence. Well, in this story, it's definitely desperation. Peter's in prison. There's tons of persecution going on. They're really wondering how they're going to make it as a church movement. It's, it's that bad. And so, yeah, they're gathering in prayer meetings, and they're, they're gathering in the midst of crisis. Now, as I thought about this church prayer meeting, this gathering in the midst of crisis, I thought of Bridgeway. Now, I, I know we've got a lot of guests today, so this, is, this will be a little bit of our, our in-house story, so uh, um, I hope you'll put up with us, but this is who we are as a family. But we have just come through um, a difficult time as a church, and that's partly why I'm here. I, I apologize, I didn't introduce myself at the beginning. My name is Don Fraze, and I'm serving as a transitional pastor. And a transitional pastor is someone that comes to a church to help it walk through a time of crisis or a time of healing or a time of transition to, to their next pastor. So that's a part of, of why this church um, brought me here. So anyway, to, all that to say that when we were in the height of the crisis, and again, I wasn't here yet, I'm just told this story, but in the height of the crisis, two young women in our congregation, and I have much respect and commend them, they had the courage and the faith to start a prayer time. And from how I hear the story, that prayer time started weekly, and when it first started, lots of people came. Because as a church, you felt the crisis. You knew the church was hurting, and you knew, oh man, God, we're in trouble if we don't pray together. And a lot of you came to pray, and I just really admire these two young women for initiating this. And as, as I've been told the story for, for I don't know for, for how long, quite a few people came, but then, like most corporate prayer times, it slowly began to dwindle. So then they decided to just go with once a month, and then that lasted for a while. And just as I showed up, there, there was a few more where a couple people showed up for that prayer time. Now, I share that not to scold the church and say, bad you, you stopped coming to the prayer time, but just to say that we are motivated to prayer in crisis. And so we should be 
But here's what's difficult. Once we kind of get through the crisis, once things start to get a little more peaceful and hopeful, which is good, I'm thankful that things are a little more peaceful and hopeful, but then the temptation comes for us to just be complacent again. And I would suggest to you, Bridgeway Congregation, that we are still at a crucial time when we're making key decisions about the future of our church. If there is a time of needing corporate prayer, I think it's just as important now as ever. And by the power of the Spirit and by all of my heart to you, I'd love to call us again to more corporate prayer as a church family. You know, as we, as we respond to this today, again, I, I hate guilt motivation. I don't think it works, and I think it is counter-Jesus. I think Jesus was all about inspiring people, all about pointing people to all of the good of the kingdom. And so, do I want us to be inspired by, by the desperate part of needing prayer? Sure. But maybe more than that, I'd love us to be inspired by God's been answering prayer. Have you looked around our church? Have you heard the testimonies? Have you seen some of the reconciliation? There's so many places, there's so many groups and movements of people that are meeting together and praying together and studying God's word together and being renewed in their faith. There's so many evidences of answered prayer, of of God moving. Can that motivate us? Can that inspire us to say, prayer is working. Let's not give up. Let's not get complacent. Let's keep praying fervently. You know, I would encourage you, of course, in your personal life. You know, as I said earlier, we go through difficult, dry times. I do too. It's not easy to to be faithful and structured in your own prayer life. So I would just encourage you, shake it up. You don't need to just do it the same way all the time. There's so many great devotional books and prayer guides and so many different ways you could do it. Maybe you just need to start with the Lord's Prayer. Some people just read a psalm a day. It's less what you do, but that you, that you pray. And there doesn't have to be any form or fancy words or pray like anybody else. You pray and use nature. Get outside and walk anything. But just be creative with it and, and, and allow yourselves to be impacted by the many ways we can connect to God with prayer. I'd like to encourage you in your small groups. And there's lots of small groups within this church, not just the ones that are sort of the official home groups, but all of the small groups and ministry groups that meet in any way you meet as a congregation. Can I encourage you to keep being, making prayer a priority there? You know, so often when we run out of time at things, the first thing we cut is prayer. Let's commit to the opposite. Let's make prayer the priority. You know, and I know I've I've been in some of your small groups and I hear a lot of you talk about the small group you're in and often what I hear that you love the most about it is that we care about each other. We bear each other's burdens. We pray for each other. That is so important. That's a form of corporate prayer. And it's so necessary and so important. So I just encourage you in all of the small groups you're a part of, keep, keep prayer a priority. This last week, Darren and I met and talked about this, Pastor Darren. And we want to commit to you that we want to see more corporate prayer in our worship services. 
You know, we meet together every week and we worship, which is wonderful. We gather around the word, which is wonderful. We hear testimonies, we see baptisms, and all of that is good. But I think sometimes we actually miss corporately praying together. And so we're going to take some steps to have us have more corporate prayer in, in our services. Let me remind you, too, that we have a prayer room. We have a prayer team here. Thank you, Sylvia, for leading that. And behind this wall, along that hallway, there's this great little room that's been designated a prayer room. It's been decorated, and it's a place for you as a congregation to come and pray. For a, for a while, we had someone there before and after the service available for anyone that would want to come. And sadly, because no one came, or maybe most of you are going, oh, I didn't even know about that. And that's good. We probably haven't communicated enough. But we want you to know that that prayer room is available and, and make use of it. And not even just on Sundays. If there's ever a time you need prayer, you can come by the church and use the prayer room. You can come by the church and Pastor Darren and I would love to pray with you. That's what we're here to do. That's what the, to pray for each other. So make use of that prayer room. You know, we do have a corporate prayer time. Again, we probably haven't announced it enough. But every Tuesday at lunch, there's a small group of us that meet to pray together. Now, because of, because of wanting to just find a time that works with our busy lives, we specifically have that prayer time be 12.15 to 12.45. So we're hoping that perhaps some of you can, you know, can every once in a while take that time off of, from work and, and come during your lunch hour and give up that lunch hour to pray. So again, that's every Tuesday. There's a wonderful group of us that, that meet every week to pray. You are all invited. And uh, if we fill the sanctuary because you all want to come on Tuesday at lunch, that'd be a miracle and I'd love it and we'll do it. But I just want you to know that that, that prayer time is there. I know we're also talking about, about how to perhaps relaunch some kind of corporate prayer time. You know, we want to be sensitive to how busy the church gets and, you know, we, we can't just keep adding more programs and things for you to come to. We need to be creative with what we're calling you to. But we're looking at, as we get closer to Easter and we're in the season of Lent, to, um, to just have a special week of prayer at some time. So you, you may be hearing about that in the next couple of weeks. So I just wanted to, to just share a few practical things. But I just want to come back to the importance of corporate prayer. And again, not out of guilt, but to be inspired because God's at work here. The Spirit of God is at work here in Bridgeway. Let's fight the temptation to get complacent and let's remember how dependent we are on Him and to cry out to Him. We're going to conclude with communion today, but there's, there's one last slide and it's the famous prayer from Chronicles that I've had up here a time or two before. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is the prayer that we prayed together before our last congregation meeting when we wanted to declare God's healing in our midst and declare that we want to move forward in faith to where God is leading us. But it's going to come as we humble ourselves. Humble ourselves and pray and seek the face of God and really live out and believe that apart from him, we can do nothing. And yet in him, all things are possible. What's ahead for us? 
Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves Bridgeway Community Church. And he wants to see this church flourish. So let's seek his face and cry out in humility. God, heal us. God, save us. God, lead us. God, direct us. God, may we be the church that you're calling us to be. So we're going to respond in some corporate prayer as we come to the Lord's table today. So I'll ask the the servers if they'll please come. And I think the worship team, you can all come and, and prepare yourselves as well. And on the screen, you will see um, a corporate prayer for us to pray together to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. And we'll read that together, and then I'll give you some instructions as to how we'll take communion together. So I'll read the light print, and I'll ask you to read the bold print. And let's pray together as we prepare our hearts for communion. Come to the Lord's table. All of you who love him, come to the Lord's table. Confess your sin. Come to the Lord's table. Be at peace. Next slide, please. Again, please read the bold. Our confession. We have not believed you or trusted in your power. Lord, help our unbelief. We have stained our souls by our action and inaction. Cleanse us, Lord. We are a broken people, bruised by our sin and the sins of others, weakened and unable to repair ourselves. Heal us, Lord. When we confess our sinful ways, God abundantly pardons. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. On the night of your betrayal, Lord, you took bread. And you blessed it, broke it, and gave it to your disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You did the same with the cup after the supper, saying, this cup that is poured out is the new covenant in my blood. And now let's respond together. Jesus, in remembrance of all you have done to save us, we offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Christ has come among us. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ abides with us. Christ will come again. Amen. Would you please stand with me for a moment? And I just want to invite you now to pray Pray with me the Lord's Prayer. If you don't know the words, no worries. Just pray along silently in your heart. But if you do know the traditional version of the Lord's Prayer, I'd ask you to join me in praying it. So let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In a moment, the music will start playing, and I just invite you to
to worship along as you hear the beauty of the music. And then whenever you're ready, I'll ask you to, to come and line up down the aisles and come and you will be served at the table here at the front. Just so you know, all of the bread is gluten-free, so hopefully all of you can come and receive. And once you receive the elements, if you want to kneel at the front to take them, if you want to go back to your seat and take them, you can take them at any time um, while the music plays. So we invite you to come to the table.
you could stand with us for a song of sending, and this is my prayer for each of you, and I hope that it's your prayer for yourself as well.